Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, excuse me, what's today's Chef Special? Welcome to Chef Special, the podcast that brings you the world of food and beverage with facts and information that challenge the status quo. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Patrick Honeywell, with Chef Special on the Believe Podcast Network, your best food destination choice. So today, I am very happy to have a great pastry chef join me on the show. Chef Matthew Shamasi works at the very popular Portos Bakery and Cafe located in Southern California. As research and development pastry chef, Matthew innovates, improves, and develops the pastry teams for five very large and high-volume bakeries. Hey, Matthew, how are you today? Good, and yourself? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. I've uh, been waiting a long time to have you on, so it's, it's really uh, an honor to have you. So thank you for, for being here. My oh, pleasure. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, your history in baking because you have a really good background. So maybe you could, uh, I know you're from France, maybe you could walk us through a little bit about your history. Yeah, so um, I mean, I'm born in France, I'm in uh, Boulogne, in the Hauts-de-Seine. Um, I grew up, um, you know, in Paris and then in, uh, in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Um, a pretty normal um, childhood. Um, you know, I basically, uh, basically would always uh, travel between, uh, between Paris and Bordeaux, where my grandparents were. Mm. And uh, okay. that's pretty much where I kind of started getting exposed to, you know, to baking and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, from that point, I mean, uh, like the world of bakery never really caught my attention. Uh, but I mean, in the summertime, you know, I would kind of always, uh, cause I would spend all my summers over there. So I would always mm-hmm. be very curious about, uh, you know, about kind of apprenticing and, and just learning, you know, learning a couple of things from them. And, um, I mean, basically in my mid teens, um, you know, the French system have already knew uh, how, just how much of a, how much of a, a torn up kid I was, um. So, um, I mean, they already pretty much determined uh, what I should be doing with my life and uh, oh my gosh, what my career choices should be. Um, so, yeah, I mean, boulangerie, boulangerie, pâtisserie was uh, was really one of the only, only options. I'm glad you picked it. To be honest, <laughs> that's how I signed up it. for it. Yeah, there you go. So, I mean, I started with cooking, which um, you know, I just wanted to try and play around and experiment with. Mm-hmm. Particularly like it, uh, it just wasn't really a right fit. Um, where uh, where everything started to kind of change was uh, you know we had a we had an internship like a stage um, at the Jules Verne which was uh, one Michelin star at the time hmm. and uh, actually for one week I was just uh, I mean one of the weeks that I did I actually was put in pastry and uh, I actually liked it so much that I just chose to stay with them mm-hmm. so uh, I mean I did maybe a month of cooking which was just awful and uh and the the rest of the stage i just did it in pastry i kind of had to hear about it later because that wasn't really part of the part of the you know part of the reason of doing a stage in a in a restaurant gotcha but uh that was really the click to uh finish uh you know getting my cooking degree which i got mm-hmm. and uh and just you know getting the heck out of uh, out of the world of cooking and going into uh into patisserie and bakery and that's when i went to the you know to the Ecole Ferrandi. 
Did you find, Matthew, that the cooking part, you know, was it just a different stressful thing, like on the line, you know, rushing, and, and whereas in pastry, you could develop your own style and work in the back of the house and create some cool products. What do you think the reason was? Uh, yeah, been, there's a bit of that, and, um, you know, just, um, I guess the, um, you know, these uh, these savory chefs just have a thing about them in, in these kind of, you know, Michelin star environments where it's, uh, mm. they, they just have a very, you know, more temper, I guess, than, than pastry chefs. And it, mm -hmm. uh, as a young kid, I think it just, uh, it just didn't really gel too well with me. So understood. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's when, um, you know, that after, after I got my cooking degree, basically, that's when I went to Ferrandi and I did, uh, I did an apprenticeship program, which was three weeks in a, in a business and one week at school. And, um, the, uh, the person I apprenticed with who, you know, is, uh, one of my one of my few mentors that I really really look up to, um, you know, was a compagnon du Tour de France. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I I learned so much from him, and we we grew that business together. Um, so in you know, and I did everything over there. I mean, I learned absolutely everything uh, mm -hmm. alongside mm -hmm. him. And since I was the only apprentice, uh, I would always float between. Uh, making bread, doing croissants, doing uh, patachou. I mean, I spent, I spent all my apprenticeship with him. Wow. And, uh, you know, he was a bit of a psycho and, you know, had a, had a mood about him. And, uh, but definitely a very, uh, a real mentor figure in my life mm -hmm. um, to become, you know, what I've become today. So. so what does say, yeah, he sounded like he was probably old school, kind of tough, probably left you a few scars so to speak but what are your what are some favorite memories you have uh at the, uh, during that time working with him i mean it was just um you know i mean the bakery when i first walked over there i mean i remember exactly what i saw when when i first walked in uh into their pastry lab and it was just beat up i mean he he had taken over a business from an old an old timer and uh it was just broken i mean there was just there was just not much there so um i mean the it just, it, you know, it, it, for me, it was just the right, I think it was the right fit because he was young. It was his first business. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I could see that, I mean, he showed me pictures of what he did and I was just like, wow, okay. Like, you know, this is, uh, you know, working alongside the person mm -hmm. uh, and you're the only person there. I mean, you know, all the attention is going to be put to you. So it's like a turbocharged apprenticeship, learning a lot. He made it a point that he was going to pay me. Uh, if, if I started working like an employee uh, or performing like an employee, would, that he would pay me as such. So there was a good, uh, you know, there was a good objective there. So, mm -hmm. I mean, at the time, I mean, it was, you know, we were just paid with stones, you know, stones mm -hmm. and rock. <laughs> um, but, um, but uh, I mean, at least when I started performing better for him, uh, definitely you know it made sense then i would i would actually be paid like an employee which was terrific yeah um, but i mean that came that came with also the pressure of being treated like an employee not an apprentice so um mm -hmm. you know so like if you made a mistake i mean you, you'd pay for it verbally yeah you know? so, his expectations would go way up yeah now that he paid you he says no wait wait now you can't make mistakes yes but that's <laughs> fair i mean for me that's mm -hmm. fair maybe for sure maybe nowadays People think different, but at least for me, it was fair. So. No, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. So then, um, when what was your transition to the USA when you came here? So, um, long story short, um, you know, we I finished working uh, with Pierre, and uh, 
and I got, you know, I got my butt pro and, uh, you know, felt like I could, you know, kind of just get away. So, um, you know, we, uh, we contacted, uh, Francois Payard and, uh, which is a lot of what French people did at the time. <laughs> uh, and, um, we actually, you know, me and, uh, me and my best friend, um, landed, uh, landed the job. And, uh, I think we applied like in July or something like that, mm-hmm. of 2004 <laughs> and October of 2004, uh, I got over there first and my friend joined me in December mm-hmm. and, uh, I was spent three years in New York city. Um, I ended up uh, working for, uh, for Eric Bedusha, who is my second mentor, mm-hmm. um, who was running financier patisserie at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, amazing pastry chef. I mean, uh, definitely, uh, one of the best ones, uh, that I know and still to this day that I look up to mm-hmm. and, uh, same, you know, it was also a business that was, they had two stores at the time and, uh, I mean, I was surrounded by some incredible uh, pastry chefs who still to this day are at the top of their game in the pastry world all across the U.S. Um, and, um, you know, I learned a lot from Eric. Uh, and then uh, after that, I wanted to move on to something else. So I went and did some bread. I would bread and mostly uh, bread and, and croissants. Mm-hmm. So that's when I worked for Boulay Bakery, um, which was in Tribeca. Mm. And uh, he, we were supplying, uh, we were supplying breads and breads and uh, pastries and all kinds of, uh, you know, all kinds of uh, individual desserts and whatnot for the, you know, for his namesake bakery. And uh, myself and my team were doing all of the breads for, uh, for his restaurants. So uh, there was Boulay upstairs, which was on top of the bakery, which was like a countertop experience where he would, David Boulay himself would actually cook. Wow. Um, which was pretty cool, I guess, at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think he was one of the first guys that actually did that. So it's, that made it even better. And we were supplying the bread for the two Michelin star restaurant, namesake as well, Boulay. Mm. And uh, another one of his one Michelin star establishments, which was called Danube. I have a question for you really quickly, because um, I'm visualizing the restaurants and the, the bread you're making for these you know, really nice restaurants. What type of bread did you did he want you to make or did you choose to make that got out on the table, like the table bread? What type so, was it? So what was pretty, pretty incredible about working for Boulay uh, was that uh, one, of the, one of the most amazing bakers in France, this, uh, this guy called Jacques Maou, was actually the consultant for exclusive for Boulay Bakery. So um, uh, Jacques actually did all of the bread program for, uh, for Boulay. We just had to replicate it. So... A lot of the breads were very, uh, for, for the time, I mean, this is back in 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the breads were very, very, very interesting style of bread. So we, we were doing breads with uh, like chestnut flour, which was, I, I don't recall seeing that a lot no. at the time. Like we're doing a baguette with chestnut flour. Mm. Um, we were doing like a bread uh, where we would use apple cider um, and green apple chunks and, you know, like a, uh, we would do another bread, which is signature to him, uh, called the Lodev, which was done with uh, uh, rye flour that we would burn in the oven to give it like a smoky uh, flavor. We did a lot of stuff that was... So that's amazing. So you took the rye flour, you instead of just toasting it, you actually went to a slight burn to get yeah. the, mm-hmm. the smoky. That's amazing. Those are some good ideas. Thanks. Thanks for the tips, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we, you know, we learned some, I mean, I definitely learned some things that were pretty, 
you know, pretty interesting to say the least. Not really, I mean, I didn't necessarily agree with, with everything we did, but at least, you know, for, and, and bread is not particularly my thing. So mm-hmm. uh, definitely the experience was, was, was pretty, you know, was pretty interesting and uh, got to meet some great people in the process and, uh, and supplies, you know, supply pastries and, uh, and breads to some, to a lot of celebrities that would come. And I mean, it was very cool. Hmm. Wow. What an experience. Sounds, sounds amazing. Yeah. So then now you're at Porto's Bakery. How did you find your way over there? This, uh, this friend of my uncle introduced me to one of the owners of Porto's, which is actually my boss today. Um, and uh, we always kept contact. We always kind of, you know, we're, we're talking about what we were doing, how they were expanding. So, I mean, from the moment I got into, into Los Angeles in 2007, uh, I always kind of knew about Porto's, but never really realized uh, how big they were until I actually went for the first time in 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2010, I was, when I was working for art institutes, I was sending a lot of my students uh, to apply when they opened the, the Downey location. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, like I always kept contact with, you know, with my, uh, with my now boss. And, um, and actually, um, after, after working for Starbucks from 2013 to 2015 uh, as R&D for manufacturing, Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually when I met, uh, when I met, uh, you know, uh, Raul Porto and, uh, and Tony Salazar. And, uh, that's when we actually sat down for real now and talk, uh, talk mm-hmm. about, uh, talk about me working over there. So they, um, you know, they, they created the position for, for me based on what, what they were looking for. And, uh, this, uh, this was in 2014 and here, here I am today still, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, still working in the, with with the with the company and uh, and just seeing how just how amazing the growth has been so far. Well, I think you're a big uh, reason for that growth. I know that uh, your products every I, you pro- probably uh, kind of kicked up the uh, quality. I mean, the pro- quality's always been great at Portos, but to get somebody with your background, knowledge, and uh, you're really a great great worker, a great person. So I'm sure that you're an, an awesome addition over there. So at Portos. What are some of the most popular like items? I, I mean, you, you would know because you might have to make 50 of one thing and oh my gosh, this, this other item, you make 200. So those are the most popular. What are the hottest uh, sellers there? I mean, the, 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 biggest, the biggest items, uh, you know, for, for the bakery are, you know, the, the cheese roll, which is the, the, most, uh, the most popular item. It's, it's the most popular item sold individually. It's the most popular item sold as a dozen. I mean, it's, uh, hmm. this, is, this is what brings people uh, brings people in or, you know, the item that people love ordering to bake at their house. Um, well, describe that. Describe that one. Is that, uh, when you say cheese roll, uh, is it a Danish dough or a croissant dough or bread dough filled with what type of cheese? Or how do you, how do you? It's, for, for me, it's the, it's the perfect product. It's, it's a product that's with uh, a very, you know, very decadent uh, puff pastry, you know, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, butter puff pastry. Yep. Um, a very, you know, very solid quality of cream cheese and it's just filled inside and, you know, it's the, the filling is inside of the dough and the dough is just sugared on the top and, and the bottom. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is something that is small. It's when you eat it, you don't make a mess on yourself. I mean, it's, it's the perfect product. You can put a, you can put a dozen in a box. Uh, it has a limited shelf life, but you can actually uh, just sell it by, sell it by the thousands. And, um, it's uh you know it's it's a very it's a very satisfying item it it's got crunch it's got sweetness that 
item seems to be the one that they end up getting a lot, maybe buying for the home, you know, for their house, for the kids and stuff. I mean, it's, if you, anyone who's in product development should, you know, should use, use a product like that as a, you know, as a, for their bakery, really mm -hmm. that to, to use that as a template for, you know, for, for literally attempting to selling, you know, selling to the masses because it's a product that's, that, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to manufacture. I mean, anything, anything in, in the volume of what, what Portos does nowadays is, is a challenge to manufacture, but it's a, it, it's a product that, you know, when you, when you go and you, when you go and you buy it and you, you eat it, it's very, it's very difficult to be disappointed because it's a, it's an item that you can, one person can eat easily two or three and, uh, and feel very satisfied. And, you know, it, it fulfills, you know, your, you know, one's urge for us, you know, that has a sweet tooth. It just, you know, it just fills that void. All right. So at Portos, what percent of, would you say roughly are items that are baked versus that you sell versus uh, your sweets, your pastry? Cause you have two different areas in the shop. One side's got a lot of croissants and those, the type of products that you mentioned are baked off croissant and puffed dough product Danish. And then the other side, I believe is more the dessert pastry. So I, I'd say there's, I'd say there's, uh, there's four. I, I would say there's four sides. Uh, oh, okay. Um, you know, there's the, uh, there's the pastries, which are, you know, very popular. Um, the, um, the cakes that are also, uh, very popular as well. Um, yeah, the cakes and, uh, individual pastries, uh, individual slices is, I guess I, I would combine the two, mm -hmm. um, because we really try to do hand in hand. Uh, if a large cake sells a lot, we want to propose it as an individual. And if an individual sells a lot, why not make it into a large cake? That's literally how the thought process. That's a great um, point. So, um, you know, and then uh, the, uh, all of the savory items that are, you know, that are encrusted and, uh, um, you know, things like the potato ball, the croquetas, like all those things we cannot forget because they're, they're very popular items. Uh, and those are also items that are well-designed that are, you know, that you can kind of consume on the fly or, you know, they're good for like catering um, type of events or for an office party. Like people love those things. Um, and then, uh, and I, and I would not, I mean, I would not forget the cafe and all the, the food, the food that the bakeries actually does, because it's something that is, uh, you know, that there's a lot, there's a very high demand for it. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, all the sandwiches that we do, all of the dishes that we do, the, you know, the, the, the platos, what we call the platos cubanos, which are, uh, you know, literally, uh, it's a real, I mean, it could be a, a lunch or a dinner and, mm -hmm. uh, those are items that are extremely popular. And I mean, our team members put, you know, put their best effort forward to make those items on a day-to-day -day basis. And uh, I mean, I, you know, we're talking about, about portos and, you know, product development and whatnot, but we can't forget the people that execute this item on a day-to-day -day for on the manufacturing end of it. And then, you know, on the bakeries level as well. So Matthew, tell me what are some of the challenges, uh, that you that you face in working in a, a really high production bakery. So I mean, there's there's quite a few there as as you know. Um, I mean, first of all, I would say is is to uh, is to always always truly understand what, what the quantities are that need to be produced, mm -hmm. and uh, and and really aligning them with a goal. Uh, you know, to get to get the best quality possible. I mean, like that's something that that is just it's inconceivable to to accept uh, to produce high volume without without prioritizing quality like that's just i mean that's just not how it's definitely not how we operate 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, a very important point is to also understand capability and associating that with capacity. I think that that's, uh, you know, that's also something that it's, um, you know, that when, when anyone wants to, wants to try to do something at high volume, you have to, you have to, you have to combine the two. Um, and if you do, if you do uh, manufacture something or make something in an artisan bakery and it just flies off the shelf and people want more, or there's plenty of demand and you don't satisfy that demand, you know, you have to be very open-minded about how you can sustain that demand and, and keep your consumer happy. I mean, that that's understanding that I think is, is, uh, is key. Um, something else that's pretty important is to always understand, uh, sourcing and, uh, that's a that's a big part of the challenge to keep um, you know to always keep keep qualities to always learn how to be on top of your on top of your suppliers whether it's produce whether it's uh, dairy whether you know um, from the from the moment you accept all these all these people to start taking shortcuts just to supply you with something that's also the moment where you where you can really uh, you know where you kind of you know you start it's like a Russian roulette it's uh you know, it can either it can either it can either work or it just really can just not be good at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think probably the most important thing that I mean that that would be the the number one thing of all is to um, is to understand your you know your your staff, understand your workforce, um, and keeping them you know keeping them on their toes, keeping them interested, keeping them motivated. Uh, to you know to keep to keep that and to also have that drive to always try to you know it's it's everybody's different everybody has their own character their own temper um you know their own mood swings and you know their own you know their own everybody's in their own bubble right mm-hmm. um yeah. but when you have such a team so you know such a large and just spread out team across in our case you know like five five stores and uh you know and a, a manufacturing look, site um you know, it's, um, you, you're dependent on those people. So you really, you know, part, part of what I do, part of what my team does, part of what the, you know, the, the leadership at the stores always tries to do is to, is to really keep, keep all these people motivated. And because they know the volume, they know that, they know that we work a lot. Uh, you know, they know that we sell a lot, but it's, uh, it's always keeping them, you know, keeping them interested and, um, you know, really, really keeping them happy and, uh, in what they do and, you know, and, and always trying to stay consistent. I mean, that, that's, you know, that's, uh, that's an essential part, part of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and always trying to, you know, when we do come up with something new is to involve everybody is to involve the staff, uh, maybe have a customer try it. Like we, you know, we, we were doing that in the past and it, it, it was always a good window to understanding how people are receptive, you know, to mm-hmm. things. And, uh, and if you combine that with, you know, with good manufacturing practices, um, you know, all the understanding that we have with, you know, with machinery and, uh, you know, expertise when it comes to, you know, producing with solid like processes and whatnot, and you combine that with the sourcing and, uh, and being on top of all these things, then I think that that's the, that's how you remedy the, or kind of tame the, tame the beast of the, of that challenge of high volume manufacturing and, you know, combining that with quality. I think that that's the, that's one way to look, you know, a few ways to look at it. That's great insight. So, okay. I know that you're very strong at many different items, um, but I also uh, have a 
a knowledge of your history on croissant. So will you describe for the audience your the perfect croissant in your opinion? So, I mean, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say the perfect croissant. I would just call it the you know the, the croissant that is uh, gold standard. I would just say that's that's more than enough. I I don't I don't I really do not believe in perfection. But uh, okay, but um, I like that. I mean, what what makes you know what makes a you know the the gold standard croissant. I would say it's you know the the type of flour that you use. It's you know the type of butter that you use. Um, the I mean, and the most the most important thing of all is really the process. Is to is to understand understand everything about the process before before attempting to make some make something like that because it's it's um you know it's a very it's a very tedious very you know very picky uh, process where everything you do can can either make it make this product great or can make it fail so um you know understanding understanding like uh, a lot of a lot of uh, terminology and uh, and um di different type of techniques that that go with making a product like this one i think it's very important to to know but what really makes makes the, makes the best product for me is the very is really understanding and respecting the process from the moment you deviate from that, you, you never get something good at the end. Makes sense. Portos entered you in a competition for a croissant. They were trying to find the best croissant in LA. Tell us about that. So, a bit. Um, so I mean, it all started with uh, we in 2016. Like we did a we did a competition for we were approached by uh, you know through our marketing a uh, marketing director uh, to compete for the best baguette in LA. So. We, um, you know, we thought about it with, with Tony and we said, well, I mean, you know, people don't necessarily know us for, for our bread. So, and not and particularly not for our baguette. Uh, so we just say, hey, what the hell, you know, like, let's, let's do, um, you know, let's just do it. Well, I mean, it doesn't cost us anything. Let's just do it. And it, you know, it's good publicity for the bakery. I mean, it's, you know, it's really not a bad, it's not, it's not a bad, it, it can't go south. So we just go ahead and we just went ahead and did it. And, um, I, I even asked, like, we didn't, you know, we didn't win or anything. Um, and we were up against some pretty strong, uh, bread bakeries. So, um, you know, so we just, I just asked one of the people, I was like, Hey, are you guys going to ever do one for croissant or something? And they were like, yeah, you know, maybe, I mean, but never, they never really followed, followed up on it. So in, uh, in 2018, <clears throat> I actually, um, I actually received something from this blog uh, called French Morning, and um, they were like, "Oh, best croissant in LA, uh, you know, uh, competition 2018." And I was like, "Oh, wow, we should do it, you know, let's do it." So, um, funny enough, like uh, maybe maybe a month or two, like before getting that email, like I found all these old videos, like of myself being recorded. Uh, at my old bakery in 2000, 2007, um, by the, you know, by the cashier, you know, this is before social media. Like it's, I mean, we were doing exactly what people do now. Uh, you know, she was just recording me rolling croissants or cutting them or something. And, uh, so you were a trendsetter. Well, you were a trendsetter already. You didn't even yeah, know it. Sure. Um, you know, but yeah, she was just asking me like, Hey, you know, you should enter a competition for rolling croissants. I was like, that's stupid. I mean, you know, I was, I was I wasn't really delicate at the time, so 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I just told her that's stupid. And like, we, they should, if they do a competition, they should do a competition for the best croissant in LA. So it's uh, funny enough, like, it, I actually stumbled upon that video, um, you know, reminiscing about the, you know, when I was young and skinny, you know. So, um, <laughs> so I mean, yeah, I looked at that video and then I showed it to Tony, I showed it to the marketing manager, and they're like, okay, you need to do this, you need to do it no matter what. So, um, mm. yeah, I mean, Honestly, like I didn't even I didn't even want to prepare for it too much because it's uh, you know, uh, this is this is a product that I'm very comfortable with, uh, whether it's artist done artisanally or industrially. Um, so mm-hmm. I just said, hey, let's just do it and let's stick let's stick exactly to what we do. Um, you know, because at first we were, you know, we 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 didn't, we weren't really gonna give ourselves an agenda or you know a budget or we were just like. Oh, let's, you know, let's use uh, Easy Knee, Saint-Mer, Butter. I was like, no, man, no, I'm not going to do that. Otherwise, it's not, it's not me who's competing. We're just, we're going to compete. I'm just going to make something that we don't sell every day. So what's the point? So mm. we actually thought about it and we were like, yeah, that's true. I mean, what if, what if we do win? You know, we do a solid product. So we just, we just stuck to our guns and we just said, hey, you know what? Let's just, let's just make our recipe. The only difference is you make it. That that was the that was that was the only contingency for that, and I said, "Oh yeah, that's what I want to do, and that's what I'll do." So, mm-hmm. um, this was on a Sunday. It was in downtown LA at some uh, at this uh, at this uh, big French restaurant, and I didn't even know who was competing, which I thought was pretty cool because it didn't give me any pressure of any kind. So, yeah, I mean, I, I came in on a Saturday, uh, produced, uh, baked the, the next day. I won it on a Sunday. And, um, and yeah, I mean, you know, we brought, we brought up, we brought all the product and, you know, the, uh, they announced, they, it was interesting. They announced the uh, crowd favorite first. Mm-hmm. Um, and that wasn't us. And then they announced the chocolate croissant. That wasn't us. So I was kind of disillusioned. I just said, ah, crap, you know, I'm just going to clear up, you know, so <laughs> I'm yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, you know, being cynical, I just started, you know, clearing up. I started folding all the crates and getting all the table uh, cleared up. And then all of a sudden mm. I hear like, well, but, you know, now, now, you know, our main, uh, main event, you know, like uh, best croissant in LA. And I hear Porto's Bakery and I, I screamed, like even on the video recording, you could just hear me scream like, no, you know, that yeah, was so cool. Awesome. I mean, it, you know, we were. We were really happy, you know, about it. And then, um, you know, we literally, after we were done, it's, uh, we had, we all got on the phone with each other and, uh, and, uh, we, we, we said to ourselves, all right, well, I mean, we won, you know, we want to try to use this to our advantage. I mean, it makes sense. Um, so now we, now we cannot disappoint. So because we started promoting it, we marketed it with, you know, with social media platforms and, you know, mm-hmm. so there was, some, I think the pressure really came after it didn't really come before or during it actually, right. It actually happened after. That makes sense. Cause people come in to, to get the LA's best croissant. You're thinking, boy, all of these croissants have to really be good. Well, I mean, today. it's, you know, what I think what made me the, the most proud is that we, uh, first of all, like I used, you know, in, the ingredients that we use and the ingredients that were used for the, for the competition are all domestic ingredients. So, you know, any, any person who says that it's impossible to do, to do a good croissant with, you know, ingredients in the U S I would say that they're wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. the, um, 
And on top of that, I mean, it's, you know, we were competing against some really solid, you know, French bakeries. So, you know, and this is a French blog that, that, that judged this. And it's funny enough, it's uh, the bakery who won the chocolate croissant is actually an American bakery. So, you know, it was, uh, it was a very interesting, uh, very interesting outcome. I'm hoping that you have a simple, easy recipe you can share for the audience, maybe to make it home. Anything you could think of, what would you like to share? I mean, I'm, um, there, there's so many good recipes out there that, it, you know, a recipe coming from me is probably just as good as a recipe you can get from, from any book. Um, I mean, mm -hmm. for, I can give like a few pointers, like for, you know, for, for actually understanding, uh, you know, and, and understanding like a product, like a croissant, I think would be the, you know, the right thing. Yeah, so imagine someone's at home, because I've made some by hand, you know, it's trickier when you don't have a dough sheeter. But if somebody were to make it at home, what would your thoughts be to, to just general pointers on something like that? So I mean, you know, I would go with, you know, definitely not buying flour from the supermarket. I think that that would be the biggest mistake to start with. Mm -hmm. um, because you really need a flour that, you know, that can handle, uh, you know, mixing. Uh, you need a flour that can tolerate, uh, you know, like being kneaded for a good period of time. You need a flour that needs to handle de dough development because if you don't achieve that, it's just not even worth it. So, um, you know, there's a couple of good websites out there, like, uh, you know, King Arthur would be one of them. Central Milling would be another. Mm -hmm. um, and they actually are pretty transparent about their, about what they sell. So, uh, you know, I would look for a 13% protein, which, you know, which helps um, and I would maybe like, if you do it at home, I would maybe add, a, or, you know, maybe do like 70% of that, of that high protein flour and 30% uh, AP just to soften it up. So it doesn't, uh, so it doesn't retract too much when you work with it. Yeah. Um, you know, for butter, definitely you need, my recommendation is 83%. Uh, I don't know where you can find that at a, at a store, but um, I'm, there's a few grass fed butters that work pretty well, uh, for the, for the roll in, like, or the fat percentage, like, um, I, my sweet spot is 30%, no less, you know, the dough should be developed, not too hydrated. Like people have a tendency to, to like those that are slack. It's, uh, that definitely is not the, the right criteria. Um, you know, no understanding how yeast functions. So it's, if you buy instant dry yeast. Um, you know, 1% on the flour weight, that's usually about the right, uh, the right amount. Um, fresh yeast, about 4%. That's a comfortable amount. And then, uh, you know, understanding just the proper mixing, not, not, not mixing with warm water, you know, um, and, uh, you know, understanding what a gluten uh, development window is for. Uh, and literally respecting, uh, you know, respecting the, you know, the fermentation or at least like a bulk fermentation of the dough after you mix it, uh, working with the dough cold, um, you know, understanding the layering process, why, why a croissant needs to have a certain amount of layers, uh, whoever, and every, there's so many people who do all day. Everybody has their own thing. Some people do 12 layers. Some people do 16, some people do 20, some people do 24. 27 like it's it's understanding that part i mean i think it's it's just about how um 
how interested, I guess, or how motivated somebody might be to, to make croissants at home. Um, I sure as hell do not bake at home, so it's uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> you don't you don't really have to, and I, I I bet you I've I've made them at home, and I I think I only did it once, maybe twice, and there's a reason why I don't. It's it's challenging, but some people really want to give it a shot. So your your advice is excellent. What you just shared was I think critical information for a great croissant, especially the flour uh, temperatures, the type of butter, etc., um, and try to develop the flour to the right point. And they can look at some things, find you know, on Google or maybe some of the basics so they can kind of get an idea how to work off their kitchen counter and stuff like that. But using some of your points, I think is, is really excellent. So I appreciate you sharing that. Before we close here, I wanted to ask you, do you have any goals for the I mean, future? For, for the time being, I mean, that's, uh, you know, I, uh, I, um, I'm still, I'm still very, um, you know, very eager to see what, um, you know, to see how, how, how thing, how the landscape is going to change uh for you know for, for where i'm at now i mean uh you know we're i'm i'm very you know i'm very involved in in uh in trying to understand how the how the how how the bakeries will be reopening um mm-hmm. i mean right now the you know the curbside pickup is great the um you know limiting the menu items is you know is is the right approach because it's you know people just don't have time and and it's you know it's also very challenging to produce uh, and to produce in a safe mm-hmm. manner. I mean, there's all these contingencies that we, you know, that the company has to obey by, right? I mean, it's, you know, the goal, the goal is still, you know, is still to protect, you know, protect our, our employees and, you know, and, and still offer the best product possible to the customer. I mean, it's, that, that's, that's really the key. So, um, I mean, for the time being, you know, the, most of the projects that, you know, that, that I'm, that I'm working on are more, more towards, uh, you know, under, re, reopening the bakeries and uh, and reopening the bakeries with uh, you know with not not putting our our staff at risk um, and uh, and sustaining that over time with um, you know with with all of these uncertainties that you know that we keep hearing about. So you know, it's supporting the supporting every single one of our team members with you know with some solutions that you know that make them you know make them efficient. But without jeopardizing their, you know, their health, their well-being, and uh, and still still being able to offer the customers the, you know, the best products at, you know, with the with the best price. I mean, that's I think that that's the most that's probably the most important project that, you know, that myself and my team uh, are involved in at the moment. As as far as like uh, as far as personally, like for the future, I mean, you know, the after after things, you know, start slowly resembling norm normalcy um you know we never know maybe uh you know maybe i my family and i will you know will uproot somewhere a little bit calmer do you know do something of our own who knows we right now is it's just too uh it's just too too blurry well matthew chef matthew i want to thank you for being on the show right now and and taking us on a little bit of a journey through your history. Thank you. Thank you for, uh, you know, it's a good, uh, it's a good experience. I'm glad, glad I did it. And, you know, I'm glad that I'm honored that, 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 you you know, that we did this together. It's cool. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much, Matthew. You have a great uh, rest of your day. Okay. All right, buddy. Okay. Bye-bye. Ciao. Thank you for listening. 
Be sure to follow me on Instagram. And remember, we are available on your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast on your social accounts. If you have any favorite topics or special guest requests, please let us know. You can find our contact information in the show notes and be sure to like, comment, and share the show with your friends. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.